Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All groups of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday morning here on Community Radio 3CR. We are broadcasting on Saturday the 17th of October, but we're recording the show on Friday the 16th of October. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow, and I don't know where you are, dear listeners, or even if you're listening to podcasts, but right this morning in Melbourne, Australia, it's a cool but beautiful sunny spring day. So good morning and welcome to all of you. And of course, it's brought Asia Pacific Currents brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links on this fantastic radio show. And, and Giselle, you're so good at giving us those details <laughs> every week. That's right. You can uh, get in touch with us by email on aawl at aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms. And you can also go to our webpage, which is all the w's.aawl.org. I did want to say, Pierre, in uh, lockdown Melbourne, it doesn't look like those restrictions are easing anytime soon. Um, And it is a bit frustrating to see such a beautiful glowing spring sun uh, beaming through the window and not being able to really go out and enjoy it that much. But of course, when compared with other parts of the world that are just starting their second wave, um, the UK, India, other other parts of the world that are starting to go into some pretty serious uh, lockdown. Um, just know that you can do it, actually, because uh, we've been in pretty much a constant state of lockdown for the last six months. That's right. That's right. Right. And of course, as we have brought uh, news over the, the months, uh, whether, you know, the, the, the fact that restrictions are essential, but unfortunately, in many countries, the, the effects on, on our class, on workers, especially the poorer sections, has actually be, uh, been incredibly hard. And, and there's, there's some real, real issues there that we will continue to bring you over the, the the weeks and months ahead but we'll go straight to our news stories to uh, really quite a it's a it's a breaking story really in Thailand and it's a further development of what we've brought you um, in the last few weeks we're in the pre-dawn hours of uh, Thursday the 15th of October so yesterday the Thai government led by the former general and coup leader Prime Minister Prayut Chan Ocha issued an emergency decree banning all public protests and demonstration stating that urgent measures were needed to maintain peace and order. This decree came after mass arrests failed to stop major demonstration during uh, earlier this week uh, of thousands of tens of thousands of demonstrators calling for the resignation of the government, new elections and new constitution and major reforms to the monarchy. In response, 
to the uh, crackdown and this degree uh, straight after on uh, yesterday afternoon, on Thursday afternoon, thousands of demonstrators pushed back a contingent of riot police to assemble and block a major intersection in central Bangkok. The leaders of the protest uh, movements have said that they will continue to oppose the new laws and will now resort to quick demonstrations in order to outwit the police and avoid arrests. Their situation is continuing to evolve daily and there are great fears that the military will resort to the use of force to drown out this to drown this movement in blood as he has done before in the past and we will be uh, talking a bit more about this in the second half of the of the program yeah that's right thanks pierre uh, and we continue now with the ongoing war in the Caucasus. While at the start of this week, a declared ceasefire between Armenia and Azerbaijan seemed to have brought the fighting of the previous two weeks to a halt. The following day saw an increase in military conflict again. While most of the fighting is concentrated in and around the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region, the conflict is now expanding to more areas of Armenia and Azerbaijan. With the death toll now starting to edge into the thousands of dead and more than 100,000 people being displaced, the war is starting to cause serious and long-lasting damage to the region. Recent reports suggesting that Turkey has sent arms and mercenaries to Azerbaijan as part of an effort to use military outcomes to cement its regional ambitions would suggest that the war is likely to continue for some more time. And, you know, I'm, I'm also curious to know how the spread of COVID is going in that part of the world, because with 100,000 displaced people, all of that movement is just going to be catastrophic, not just from a war humanitarian point of view, but from a pandemic humanitarian point of view as well. That's right. That's right. And of course, then um, displaced people, their health uh, is actually weak. And so, you know, they will actually probably have more deaths. Um, and on top of that, of that displacement, also what's what's coming out that uh, not just in this conflict, but in the last few years, uh, in that region, there's uh, huge refugee movements, and more and more um, governments are now using some of those poorer refugees to try to, uh, well, not to try, but they're actually enrolling them in private military consortiums and actually using them as mercenaries. And um, there's been quite a number of reports now saying that uh, whether the conflict in Libya, in Syria, in Iraq, um, now in uh, in the Caucasus, the a um, lot of these uh, migrants are basically used as cannon fodder, and um, they've really got no ideological commitment, but they're basically fighting because they're, they're poor and they're getting paid, which um, is quite worrying. But um, uh, for our next uh, item, we come uh, to Australia, where um, this week in the Western Australian city of Perth, a worker was killed and two others seriously injured when the glass roof that they were working on at a new building at Curtin University suddenly collapsed. While investigations have only just started, unions have already stated that health and safety issues had already been raised at that construction site and that only the week before a building surveyor called in by the company had given the construction the green light to proceed. 
The local CFMAU branch, i.e. the construction union, has also stated that they are now seeing an increasing trend by builders to lessen the thickness of the building and support materials uh, and so taking away any safety margin for stress levels in an increasing drive to lower costs and increased profits. Now, this incident actually occurred in the same week as the 50-year anniversary of the Westgate Bridge Collapse in Melbourne, where 25 workers were killed in one of Australia's worst industrial accidents. Yeah, it is a, an important anniversary to remember, um, Pierre, particularly as we're looking at all of those cost-cutting measures that are just reversing years and years of industrial fight that uh, introduced safety standards in the first place. That's right. And, and also, Move. sorry, and also the fact that to um, get over the, uh, the, eco the economic uh, crisis now, governments are saying we need to build our way out of, our, of the crisis. But, you know, are we going to um, uh, carry the burden of this uh, a building uh, uh, boom. Moving now to Bangladesh, where there are mass protests against violence against women. In the last week, there have been mass demonstrations by women throughout Bangladesh calling for justice and an end to impunity for men who sexually assault, rape and murder women. The spark to these protests was the release of a video of a group of men attacking, stripping and sexually assaulting a woman that went viral over social media. While the government enacted harsher laws, including the, te excuse me, including the death penalty for crimes like rape, the issue is the widespread extent of misogyny and the marginalisation of women in Bangladesh. In addition, all too often the police and the judicial system fails the women who do report sexual assault. A recent study looking at the last eight years has found that of these cases that do make it to court, only 0.37%, that's not even 1%, result in a conviction. Yes, and I did actually recheck that number. I just thought... Have I missed something? Zero point three seven percent. I mean, I mean, it, it really just shows the the systemic and structural nature of the of the problem. Um, it's terrible. Uh, we now go to um, Israel, where um, there's been more hunger strikes. Um, one of the ways that the Israeli state suppresses Palestinian resistance is by the widespread use of the so-called administrative detention where Palestinians of any age can be jailed for six months for no reason and, can, and this uh, detention can be renewed indefinitely. Having little legal recourse, many prisoners resort to hunger strikes. Um, the latest one um, is Maha al-Akras, who has now become the focal point of, of this kind of protest as he is in his 11th week of hunger strike and is seriously sick. Last week, his wife, Tarid, um, also started a hunger strike herself in order to support her husband. Uh, Maher recently um, stated that he will either live freely with my children or will be killed in the name of false justice. So quite a, a um, severe case and, and, and really quite uh, uh, shocking what's happening in, in those jails.
And moving now to New Zealand, where the leadership popularity cannot hide inequalities in New Zealand. And this is a really Piera story about that um, false belief, I think, that some of us have that electing good left-wing people would make any difference to uh, our lives on the ground. With the New Zealand national election to occur this week, Jacinda Ardern, the current Prime Minister, is favoured to be returned with quite a majority, actually. While globally, she's seen as an inclusive and caring leader, uh, leading a government that fosters social equity, recent statistics have highlighted the continued high levels of inequality and marginalisation in New Zealand. Poverty remains very high in Maori and Pacifica households, with nearly one in four and that's 23% of Maori children and nearly one in three, that's 28% of Pacific children living in material hardship. In another indication, the Auckland Action Against Poverty has said that three years ago, 100,000 food grants were handed out by government agencies, but by earlier this year, before the full impact of COVID-19, this number had risen to 500,000 food grants. So, Pierre, you can't elect your way out of poverty. You can't parliament your way to socialism. Uh, no, that's, uh, that's, that's correct. I mean, you can ameliorate, but we'll have a bit of a discussion after, after the break. Um, and then, um, yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll go to a few committee announcements uh, and we'll come back and we'll talk a bit about um, talent and maybe we can talk about uh, um, what can elections do. An important message from the Victorian government about coronavirus. To manage coronavirus and save lives, immediate action is required. This means if you can stay home, you must stay home. Yes, it's a major disruption to your lives, but this disruption today will save the lives of many Victorians tomorrow. If you think you may have coronavirus, call the government's hotline on 1800 675 398 or visit coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Victorian Government, managing this together. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. 855 AM. And you're listening to Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents with Pierre and Giselle. Uh, And, of course, we are broadcasting from our homes with big, big thanks to 3CR staff who are continuing to support all 400 volunteer programmers and presenters who are working from their homes to get our shows to you um, like never before, like, like you haven't even noticed that we are not broadcasting from the station. That's right. But... Pierre, it looks like we are on the precipice of the 14th military coup in Thailand since 1932. Um, yes, look, I mean, that's, look, it's, it's a stunning um, statistics. Uh, also stunning the fact that Thailand in many, many ways, but for many, many people is seen as the land of smile and the land of laid back um, people and like you said even though in the last uh, 90 years it's had um, 13 military coups many of which have been very bloody 
Um, and, um, and unfortunately, we are seeing another crisis. And it's actually quite incredible how quickly uh, this has uh, this crisis has has really come to to a head because uh, if people remember, I mean, up to, to ten years ago it was the last crackdown in two thousand and ten when there was the um, uh, the, the shooting uh, in Central Bangkok where I believe around ninety people were killed, the so-called red shirts. And then the military came in. There was many years of coup, and then they went into um, civilian mode. And um, just a, maybe six months ago, there was the election where quite a new party, the Future Forward Party, really um, was formed. It had a bit of a, uh, a charismatic leader. And what we have really seen is that this party, the Future Forward Party, had, um, you know, and I'm not uh, in Thailand, uh, but I can only go through the uh, the reports that I've, I've read, was able to galvanise especially the young people vote. So a lot of uh, young voters that had really come to age after the latest um, massacre of 2010. And um, they got, um, you know, I think 15% or 20%, quite a number of votes. But then that party was actually um, disallowed by the military government, well, the military uh, civilian government uh, of uh, uh, General Prayut Chanocha, uh, because it was seen as, as uh, quite a popular party. And, and the demonstrations have really started from to keep going and increase. And the interesting thing is that it hasn't. Uh, it has come uh, apart from the old um, red shirt movement of ten years ago, which was massive. If people remember, they had demonstrations of millions of people. But I, again, I've been told that in the last few months, they've actually have been uh, uh, reaching out and actually starting to include some of the more left wing grassroots part of the red shirt movement and what we are seeing with this um, movement um, which doesn't really have a name um, is actually not only against the military but quite openly and I think for many Thai um, sort of uh, conservatives are quite shockingly they've got quite a strong anti-royal uh, family attitude as well and so in, in some ways, they're really, they are fighting against the, the two bedrocks of Thai capitalist um, uh, the structures, the way that the military and the, and the Thai royal family basically intersect and basically hold power in, in, in Thailand. And so what we are seeing now is for large part of the population, especially the younger one, both the military and the Thai royal family has has lost face and has lost that authority. So where it will go um, is a really big issue and quite a scary issue for two reasons. Um, and you can comment on, on this, um, Giselle. One is that the 
even though it would seem that the current Prime Minister um, is not very willing to use military force, um, other generals certainly are, and there are other generals in the military who, you know, are mass murderers. Um, plus, also, these uh, young people haven't actually really got any major organisations. I mean, they're still starting to build up. And the working class, uh, certainly in an organised form, is not involved in this movement. So it's difficult to see where the social weight of the protest movement uh, can actually um, uh, defend the demonstrators against the, the military as it is now starting to move against them in a quite strong fashion. I think often when we talk about Thailand, we mostly focus on um, it, it, the repression and the social justice optics, for want of a better word, um, of that repression. So the the military, the les majeste laws, the crackdown on social disobedience, the limits on trade union organising, etc. But we don't often, and all of these coups seem very internal. The, it's about internal forces of Thailand's ruling class and Thailand's people. But like the Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict where uh, we've looked at it in the context of neighbouring interests, is it possible to do that with Thailand? For instance, where does Malaysia um, sit in relation to the internal machinations of the, the ruling class fight in Thailand? Where does Indonesia sit? Do they take any interest? Because there's no, there are no statements. There's nothing public about what other governments say about what's happening inside Thailand? Look, that's a, a very good point. And certainly in the last few years, we've actually seen a very close collaboration between the governments of Laos and Cambodia in uh, repressing um, exile activists from uh, Thailand. Um, and of course, Thailand's got very uh, um, strong links to Myanmar both at a legal level in terms of industrial and migrant workers, but also via all the, um, uh, the drugs, the illegal drugs that go in and out through those borders. And of course, we've got to remember that in the 1960s and 70s, um, Thailand was actually a huge military base for the US war effort in, uh, in, uh, in Vietnam. So, uh, they're very good points there, Giselle, but I, I don't actually have any uh, hard information about that. And of course, in just to complicate matters, in the last few years, Thailand has become much closer to uh, China because of the Road and Belt Initiative. Um, but from what I've read about these protests and the opposition and the military, um, Interestingly enough, the, this international uh, dimension doesn't really seem to um, get a lot of a, of a mention. 
Well, thank you, Pierre. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Of course, I wasn't interviewing you. We were just uh, (laughs) commenting on some things that are happening in the region. I did want to talk about New Zealand because I, I put a very clear position that there is no parliamentary road to socialism and you can't elect your way out of poverty. And you said, mm, but maybe. So I, what were you, what can did I, you want can to I, Can I stop you there for, because one, I just want to say one last little thing in Thailand. Um, that which sort of segues back into what you want to talk about New Zealand, about the parliamentary road. There is a rumour or there's been some report that the military and the monarchy has actually been in serious discussion with the old prime minister, uh, Taksin Shinawatra, because he was obviously the the leader of the of the red shirt movement and the ousted prime minister, but he's also a huge billionaire. And the one of the rumors is that the Thai military and the royal family want to bring him in back to uh, into the country to become the new leader is because in the end, he's obviously a billionaire and he's actually not against the Thai royal family and all the, uh, all the elites. He just, he's just, just a different uh, faction of the elites. But anyway, that will be interesting if that uh, does happen. So in three minutes, Pierre, Jacinda Ardern. Um, look, Jacinda Ardern, I think you would uh, classify her as a social democrat leader. And, and maybe in the 1970s, when social democracy was in a uh, much a stronger position, she probably would have been able to do many more economic reforms. But I think as we see around the world, the space for meaningful and economic reforms and um, redistribution policies and social and economic equity, especially in a time where the working class is very weak, is nigh to impossible. And so when forced to vote, what do you do? I mean, it just raises for me... um, a thing that I'm very critical of. I mean, critical in direct discussions with our comrades too about all of these um, socialists running for council elections. So, of course, I'm, I'm going to vote for our comrades. I'm going to vote for the socialists. But it's a, it's a massive redirection of our energy and resources in the middle of a recession, in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, surely we could be fighting a very good, serious industrial fight than fighting uh, the, the crazy shopkeeper on the corner for a seat on council. Uh, yes, yes, um, that's right. And I think the real problems start, I think, not only... Uh, what you've you've just said and agree about, you know, where do we put our resources is when a number in our movement actually starts to believe that that is their way forward. So vote as far left as you possibly can and have no illusions in the process. Is that the theme? That's correct. And keep fighting and keep organising. That really should be the first, second and third point of anything we say.
just keep organising, keep organising industrially within the working class. That should be point one, two and three and everything else follows. Well, what a perfect note to end on, Pierre. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot like that and thank you for sharing your thoughts and ideas about Thailand and poverty and elections. You've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents listeners. We will be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. Please keep listening to 3CR Community Radio. But that's all from me, Giselle Hanna. And Pierre Morrow, and have a great week and keep listening to Asia Pacific Currents and 3CR Radio, your favourite community radio station. Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone.